Good afternoon, and welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to Be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. We are entering into an election cycle, and there are a lot of issues that are of particular interest to Christians. Well, annually, there's something called the Value Voter Summit, where these issues are discussed and candidates looked at. One of the people who attended that is Focus on the Family Vice President Tim Gigline, who is a personal friend and longtime friend of this program. Tim, welcome aboard. Thank you so much. It is great to be with you, and I have to say... We are uh, a mere 13 months away from the presidential election. Uh, The Election Commission has just announced the three presidential debates and the singular vice presidential debate. And with uh, impeachment uh, swirling about Washington, uh, with uh, angst swirling about the new policy on the Middle East, It has been a remarkably uh, incredible thing to watch the last three weeks. Must have been exhausting, but exciting at the same time. You know, Congress has been away for two weeks. I suppose, Kip, that's a fancy way of saying that the Constitution has been safe for two weeks. (laughs) Uh, But but later this week, uh, the the Congress will be back in session for its run up to uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, The Supreme Court is back and, of course, had a major uh, First Amendment uh, free speech slash religious liberty case, uh, which I was honored to attend. Uh, And uh, and of course, the president and vice president are very much here. So uh, it's that time of year when all three branches of government uh, are uh, are in Washington uh, and the issues we care about have never been more timely than now. Well, Tim, let me ask you, what actually is the Value Voters Summit? The Values Voters Summit uh, was started uh, many years ago uh, by like-minded organizations in Washington, D.C. Focus on the Family, where I'm one of the vice presidents, was one of the original uh, sponsors and hosts of the Values Voters Summit. Uh, And it's become known as a locust. Uh, for traditional, cultural, social conservatives who care deeply about all of the issues gather annually in Washington, uh, typically in October, uh, with several breakout sessions, several main stage speakers. But it's an excellent opportunity to get to know and to network like-minded people from all over the United States. And in the years where Republican presidents are in office, very often a Republican president uh, or a a Republican vice president, certainly several members of the House and Senate of both parties. uh, You know, it's just been a a place where, uh, you know, where conservatives have historically gathered. And typically, you know, in presidential election years, they we tend to be meeting, you know, just ahead of the elections and in off years discussing uh, what is coming up. And uh, this year, uh, unlike most years, given the issues that I mentioned at the top of our program, you know, really a major conversation and discussion going on about what will happen in the House, what will happen in the Senate, uh, and of course, what will happen in 2020, and who as a result will be sitting not only in the Oval Office, but on the Supreme Court. 
You had some remarkable uh, speakers at the Value Voters Summit. Uh, could you enumerate some of them? Well, let me just say that uh, President Trump has made a point of being a regular uh, speaker at the Values Voters Summit uh, in October. And he has been a regular speaker uh, at what is called CPAC, an even larger, more broadly based uh, conservative gathering, which typically uh, meets in the early part of the year uh, in or around Washington, D.C. CPAC, in fact, typically has anywhere between eight and 10,000 people. And the Values Voters Summit, as I say, somewhat uh, smaller but still very influential, you know, at around a thousand people. And I suppose it's fair to say that without any equal kip, the most important speaker at the Values Voter Summit this year was President Trump. And uh, he spoke on, uh, on Saturday morning in the middle of the conference, and he spent the majority of his speech uh, defending and sharing why he made the decision to begin to pull back American troops from the most volatile part um, of that part of the Middle East where Syria uh, and uh, and Turkey, uh, Russia, Iran, Iraq, uh, the Taliban and the Islamic State all have uh, what they view as a vested interest. And President Trump uh, promised many times during his run for the White House up to and including his election in 2016 and many times since then, Kip, that he would find a reason and an excuse uh, to stop what he calls the endless wars and to pull back American uh, troops from this volatile area that I'm speaking about. And just a week ago, Much to the uh, anger of his hawkish Republican uh, Senate and House, uh, you know, comrades, and certainly to a broad swath of American fundamentalists and evangelicals, the president moved forward, moving those troops out of that region. Uh, And one of the major reasons uh, that there is so much a crossfire for the president, Kip, is because of the potential impact that American retreat in this part of the world could have on Israel. Uh, Israel is embraced uh, very deeply by the evangelical, by the same evangelical base that supports the president. And the president wanted to uh, to defend and to explain why he made the decision that he did. Well, Tim, what are some of the other issues that are up? This is a, as you pointed out, this is a going to be a remarkable election year. And I think we have some very clear cut divisions between what the Democrats are saying and what the conservatives are saying. What are some of the issues that were brought up and the concerns that were brought up in the Value Voters Summit? Well, one of the top issues in the Values Voters uh, Summit and gathering was also another timely issue tied directly to the Supreme Court, which I mentioned a moment ago. Um, I was very honored to be in the Supreme Court on the Tuesday when the so-called Harris series of cases were argued. And, uh, Kip, this is a very, very important series of three cases. All of them are uh, cases which involve sexual discrimination uh, based on biology not based uh, on sexual orientation or gender identity. This is a crucial difference. Uh, All three of these cases turn on a question of whether a a plaintiff was uh, was, uh, dismissed from his 
uh, job uh, because of sexual orientation or gender identity uh, and not because of biological sex. Now, this distinction, for those who are not familiar with these cases, would seem to be very difficult uh, to understand. But I'm very eager, very briefly, to unpack this. Please, uh, currently, please go ahead. It, it, yes, please, in, in, in federal law, uh, Kip, currently, um, there is no federal barrier uh, to, uh, to dismissing a person from, it or from his or her job based solely on a sexual identification uh, or, or gender identity. Uh, and this is because the Civil Rights Act of 1964 defined sex for purposes of a biological uh, sex, male or female. And there is a very big push in the uh, LGBT community to essentially have the courts, not the Congress, uh, rewrite the Civil Rights Act. Tim, hasn't yes, this, isn't this what has actually been, been going on? Lower courts have actually ruled, I believe, that the Title VII, the Civil Rights Act, actually does include sexual orientation, even though the Congress, the congressional intent clearly wasn't that. You are exactly right. Several lower courts have taken it upon themselves to essentially rewrite the Civil Rights Act to redefine the word sex, not to include, as Congress intended it in 1964, to be male or female, but on its own, the judiciary has sought to expand this definition. Now, of course, we all know that in the separation of powers narrative of the United States Constitution, it is Congress's duty uh, to update to change, to pass, or to not pass legislation. It is not the job, you know, of a, of a judge. It's not the job of the Supreme Court. This is the basic uh, text and issue uh, in these cases. Uh, and if the Supreme Court does decide to legislate from the bench, that is to say, if there are five justices on the Supreme Court who believe that Congress does not have the sole constitutional provision uh, for writing our legislation, that judges can also write legislation, then I believe we will see a precursor uh, in these cases, Kip, in the way that we saw a precursor on a series of cases leading up to Roe against Wade when the Supreme Court imposed on the United States uh, a, an abortion right up to and including the ninth month of pregnancy and when the Supreme Court, uh, again, took it upon themselves to legislate from the bench and to impose on all 50 states uh, the concept of same-sex marriage. This is the same thing that is going on in these series of cases uh, for purposes uh, of the sexual orientation, gender identity series of cases. What are some of the other issues that are facing us right now? I know, for example, uh, some of the Democratic candidates have threatened to remove the tax-exempt status of, uh, of churches if they don't recognize same-sex marriage. Yes, this is another major issue and another major issue at the Values Voter Summit, to be sure. There was, a week ago, uh, a debate on uh, CNN uh, and that debate's narrative was solely limited to the LGBTQ agenda uh, and its furtherance in the United States. 
And during that debate, attendant to the Supreme Court cases that I mentioned just a moment ago and that we were discussing, uh, there were candidates who came out in favor of saying the following, that if American churches, that if American religious paraministries uh, or faith-based organizations do not uh, adopt a categorically pro-LGBT agenda, and if these organizations currently enjoy tax-exempt status, there were candidates on the stage, all running for the Democratic nomination to be president, who said that that ministry or churches or paraministries, uh, you know, tax-exempt status uh, should be revoked. Now, of course, Kip, this is deeply concerning. It's, it's frankly deeply sobering, but it's also where we are at. And I actually believe, and I think that this was a important theme to come up during the Values Voter Summit, I think increasingly there are these unbridgeable uh, chasms and divides on social and public policy where people of goodwill are finding it very different to find common ground because, of course, this would remove a fundamental constitutional protection uh, for men and women of faith. Well, not just that. Faith, uh, churches, religions, you know, we can't pick and choose what we want to what we want to follow. Our, our dogma, our, our doctrine is very, very clear on these issues. Absolutely right. And of course, there are any number of liberal uh, Protestant, largely Protestant mainline churches who take their cues much more strongly from popular culture than from Scripture. Uh, And so whereas there has been constitutional, categorical, foundational uh, protections for men and women of faith, what we are seeing is that quite apart from what the Constitution uh, protects, uh, we have seen for political reasons uh, this LGBTQ agenda, which very often runs up directly against uh, the, the constitutional protections of the men and women of faith. Uh, in the United States of many faiths, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, etc. So these are very monumentally deep waters, and it should concern men and women of faith uh, that we have several people running for the presidency of the United States who are making a promise and pledge that if they are elected, they will remove the tax-exempt status of churches and other faith-based organizations. Uh, This is very deeply concerning when you also uh, internalize that one of the candidates, Elizabeth Warren, was actually uh, uh, making fun of marriage uh, and had used yet another uh, 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 forum or opportunity uh, to, uh, you know, to essentially degrade uh, one of the most important institutions, the marriage between a man and a woman uh, that God has given to us. So, uh, you know, these are, uh, are very sobering times. They're very sobering realities. And yet we know that the men and women who are running and making these pledges are very serious uh, about what they're saying and would work overtime uh, to appoint uh, Supreme Court judges, to appoint uh, federal judges, to appoint any number of people in future administrations, both domestically and overseas, uh, who hold a fundamentally unconstitutional view on the question of faith and religion. Well, one of the Democratic uh, candidates, I believe, I'm quoting this fairly closely, he said, uh, 
Religious freedom is, of course, viol- uh, is, is uh, very important, but it cannot be used to discriminate. You know, people say that they're in favor of something, but usually aren't. Yes, and I think when we hear uh, this recurring theme about reforming the Constitution, we should all be very, very concerned. The Constitution does not need to be reformed. The meaning of its words are fixed for all time. The United States Constitution is the most single important document in the history of mankind, not only for the defense of liberty and freedom, but also in a large, complex continental nation like ours, the single most important guarantee uh, of our religious liberty and rights of conscience given to us not by government, uh, but by God himself. This is the genius of the United States Constitution. And these debates that we are learning of, uh, like the ones we're talking about, Kip, these, uh, these kinds of debates uh, are, are, are not only concerning, but they should be a wake-up call to men and women of faith uh, that the first duty of Christian citizenship is to vote, uh, to be involved in the public square, to take seriously uh, these uh, series of pledges and promises by people who would take the top uh, you know, position, elected position in our nation and would use like a truncheon uh, that power and influence in opposition to men and women of faith. They mean business. And I think we have to be very concerned uh, and take them at their word. How can we find out specific positions of specific candidates? Are, there, uh, are, they, are they weighed on a particular website? Do we go to their campaign sites? Where, where do we find what they, st- what they stand for? I, I really love this question, <clears throat> and uh, I, I have uh, several recommendations where people can go uh, to get uh, objectively excellent information. The first place that I would recommend is the Heritage Foundation. Uh, the Heritage Foundation has done an excellent job um, of uh, reviewing, uh, you know, the various uh, positions of the candidates uh, and of posting them. Uh, you know, very uh, prominently. I also think, uh, Kip, the individual sites of all of the members who are running uh, for, uh, for the presidency is a very good uh, uh, place to check. Uh, I would also recommend the Human Rights Campaign. You know, uh, in light of the debate we were just talking about, uh, I think it's very important for people to go uh, to, to the websites, not just of uh, places that they would say are, you know, aligned with their own worldview, but also websites uh, that are not aligned, uh, you know, with our worldview. I think that there are a lot of things that can be uh, learned from there. And, of course, in the Values Voter Summit, the Family Research Council um, has done a very good job um, of, of posting uh, various speeches, comments, pledges, in, in all the ways that we've talked about, uh, and is a very good information arbiter, uh, again, nonpartisan, partisan to the issues only uh, for all the issues that we are discussing. Well, one thing I think uh, we as Christians, and especially we as Lutherans, have to keep in mind is the concept of the left-hand kingdom. This is the kingdom of the, of the world, and we are required by God, and certainly Luther made this very clear in his writings, we are required to involve ourselves very heavily in it. And that means getting out there and voting and, and knowing what the issues are. And I think, you know, too many people, I think, say, well, gee, you know, we'll, we'll just stick to, uh, to preaching the gospel. Well, you got to live it, too. And part of it is the left-hand kingdom. 
Kip, I so appreciate this comment, and I know we have discussed this at other uh, times during our wonderful conversations through the years, which I, which I always welcome, uh, which is that there is this uh, stubborn view uh, that somehow, you know, we are as Christians to remain out of the public square, uh, that it's for other people, uh, and that it's all corrupted, all fallen, and we should, uh, you know, not get our own hands dirty. Uh, as you say, that is not scriptural. It's not consistent with our Lutheran theology. It's more important than ever to engage and to not be discouraged or despairing. Uh, we're never going to have a perfect government. We're never going to have a series of perfect public policies. Uh, there was only one perfect uh, uh, person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Um, but he gives us the vocation and the ability to be involved, to learn, and to share uh, what we've learned with our uh, fellow parishioners and with our neighbors and to work in our communities uh, for uh, the kind of public policy that is consistent uh, with our calling and with our faith. Yeah, I think these are great gifts in the way that we can serve others. I was very impressed that you talked about the Heritage Society, uh, that Heritage Foundation. That's one group that I, I follow quite regularly. And I really like the idea that you said of bringing in the Human Rights, uh, the Human Rights Council, who, which is on the other side of many of our issues. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's so tempting to say, well, we have to only retreat, you know, into our own uh, allies or uh, into our own worldview. But I think, uh, Kip, to your point, I think it's actually a very healthy thing. Uh, for us to not only engage in conversation, dialogue, Q&A with people with whom we strongly disagree and always doing so civilly and, you know, uh, and in a way that is magnanimous. But I think it's also important, uh, you know, in the social media world that we are in uh, to take the time to, uh, to identify those whose views are not our own views uh, and to try to garner uh, information uh, and substance and content from what they themselves are saying about their own, uh, you know, positions on the issues. I think there's a lot to be learned there, uh, and I think it does not hurt anybody to take a look and to and to see uh, just what 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 cases are being made uh, from uh, you know from other worldviews. Well, there are a number of sites out there where we can get that kind of information. Uh, as you pointed out, that's one. one. Another one I follow regularly is the Huffington Post. And, of course, the DNC has their own central website. So that's something that we can all look at as well as those of our friends. One very important website that I think needs to be checked on a regular basis is that of the U.S. Supreme Court, where we learn what I cases— I could not agree more, yes. Yeah, we learn what cases are before them. Uh, the Harris case that you mentioned is certainly a vitally important one, but it's not the only one. There are others that are before the Supreme Court. This is going to be a momentous, a momentous session. May I say we have a major Supreme Court case coming down the line on charter schools and whether states or locales uh, may provide taxpayer funding, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, to, to, to religious schools. This is an extremely important issue uh, and one that we at Focus on the Family are tracking very closely. And Kip, we are going to have a major pro-life case at the Supreme Court this term. Uh, I was just uh, in Louisiana uh, with several of our pro-life friends. Uh, this is an incredibly encouraging sign uh, that the Supreme Court continues to take up these major religious liberty cases where I'm very hopeful that we're going to win. 
take up these pro-life cases where I'm hopeful that we're going to win, uh, and these education questions where I remain hopeful as well. Uh, not overstating it and having uh, learned a lot about these three cases, plus plenty of others, uh, I think there is every reason for us uh, as Lutheran Christians uh, to be to be very uh, expectant of very good news uh, as these cases are argued and as they come down. You know, the Supreme Court is an institution of incrementalism. It's an institution of precedent. So it's rare that there are monumental or major changes overnight. And these are the things that I think we have to keep in mind as Christians, that incrementally and prudentially, we can, in fact, even in a country like ours, uh, move toward rulings that are far more favorable to our uh, to our worldview. And I, I feel very, very hopeful. Well, one thing I've noticed, Jim, and perhaps you can enlighten me, because you're a closer, uh, you're a closer observer of the Supreme Court than I am. Uh, but traditionally, the Supreme Court, as you pointed out, just as incrementally uh, uh, judgments. They, they seldom come out and with with a flat with a flat ruling that affects everybody. Now, Obergefell, of course, was was uh, legalized uh, same sex marriage was one. Uh, of course, Roe v. Wade was another one. What I'm seeing here in this current session is a willingness of the court to actually hear some cases some, that uh, potentially could be landmark. Rather than rejecting them yes. for certiori, they're actually looking very closely at some of these. And I'm wondering if maybe, maybe we're actually going to see some very substantive rulings. I think we are going to see some, some substantive rulings. And I'm glad you used that word, because I think in the Harris cases, uh, if we were to lose uh, any level of one of those three cases, then we would potentially see the predicate uh, for a you know a judicial uh, fiat uh, as to uh, you know legislative uh, lawmaking and and I think the fact that we could potentially witness the court not doing so uh, saying in, in effect you know that's Congress's job that's Congress's mandate I I think that that could be a really major ruling uh, I don't think in the pro-life case that this will be uh, you know a major chip away even if we win against Roe against Wade, but it is a reaffirmation uh, that Roe is not eternal uh, and that Roe is not uh, you know never uh, in a position where 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 we could see uh, some change. And in the question of the charter school, religious liberty, and religious uh, school cases, I feel very good. Uh, about about where we're going uh, in that regard. And I think that uh, that uh, depending on how the presidential election goes, we've already seen President Trump nominate and confirm 153 uh, federal judges, including two Supreme Court justices. So I, I think with two uh, you know, justices who are in their 80s and above, uh, we can be really seeing some monumentally, historically, uh, uh, ch- uh, major changes at the Supreme Court uh, just in the next 24 months. Well, Tim, I want to thank you for shedding some light on these issues. And uh, this is uh, an election cycle. So let's keep in mind, we are part of the left-hand kingdom, and we've got to do our job as Christians. Kip, it's a joy and an honor to be with you as ever. Uh, thank you so much, and God bless. You've been listening to Free to Be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for listening and supporting Free to Be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.